Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hello and thanks for downloading Outspoken, the podcast that brings you the very best of our daily talk sports show. I'm Sam Matterface and on today's show we reflect on the success of the England Under-21s as they won the European Championship for the first time in nearly 40 years. Plus after Victoria Azarenka was booed off by the Wimbledon crowd following her defeat to Ukrainian Elena Svetolina, Simon let his disappointment of the crowd be known. Good morning. Morning. Uh, had a good weekend. Very sports weekend. Oh, brilliant! I spent myself spent my entire weekend glued to different facets and assets of sport. And uh, your highlight, specifically the Ashes. Yes, it was brilliant, yes. wasn't it? Absolutely captivating. So. Honestly, Absolutely. it was one of those moments where you would think you, I was. It was. I know it was ridiculous, really, because they only needed twenty runs. Mm. They had three wickets in hand, and there was still a day and a half to play. I know. So they didn't need to rush it. Well, but, and and then you and you also think about the day and a half to play that they'd already lost. Virtually the entire third day. Yeah. So it was, you know, this is this is Test cricket. This is what it is now. This is the change in Test cricket in terms of the way the batsmen play and the way that they score runs at a pace. But it was a, it was a great win. Nothing like stepping on the Aussie's throat. Yeah, good, I got good, a really good, nice good, message. Good good, uh, good, 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 good. From a guy over the weekend as well who was very, very like really upset about the fact that me and you were wearing similar clothing on uh, but we weren't. Friday. Attention to detail. But. The good news is, is today we've gone very contrasting. Yes, we so have. he'll be very, very happy with himself. Um, England have won the European Championships, the under-21 European Championships, for the first time since 1984. It was dramatic last-minute penalty saved by James Trafford that helped them out, a deflected goal from Cole Palmer as well. Lee Carsley's side, the third England team to win the competition. They became the first team to record six clean sheets. The goalkeeper was very important, not only in that final, but throughout the course of the tournament as well. That's what he's there for. Uh, a win for the mindset of offence sales tickets, defence wins ch- championships, or did England find the perfect balance, do you think? Um, I think very rarely do you see finals that really stand out. Um, they are few and far between um, in most tournaments. There are exceptions, and we can find exceptions in recent times, but most of the time when you get to a final, it is about winning the game. Mm. It is about the outcome, and everything in the end 
with very, very few exceptions, unless you're Manchester City most of the time, there's a balance between having to, to, to be pragmatic and disciplined in your approach and then taking your chances when you get them. I mean, the job was to win the tournament and that's what England have done. And so they should be given um, you know, a significant amount of praise because it's an outcome. It's, again, building upon successes that some of the other age groups have had in recent times. We've seen the full side getting deeper into tournaments. Um, and it tells you that you know we've got a conveyor belt of young players that are coming through at international level that are able to understand what winning looks like and also playing for their country in tournaments that are now bringing outcomes that we should all be pleased with. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not in the concerned mindset of characterising it about offence sells tickets and defence wins winning sells tickets. I thought they were brilliant over the course of the tournament and the way they played football actually the first three games in particular they were excellent and you know, produced some stunning football 21 passes before two of their goals against the Czech Republic and Israel shows a development of the way that England have have tried to play the game in recent times. Uh, Morgan Gibbs-White had a terrific end to the Premier League season. He stood out in this tournament as well. Curtis Jones was terrific. I thought Jacob Ramsey was unlucky because he was injured towards the end of the, the tournament and, and didn't get to play in the final, but was superb. And Angel Gomez, this little pint-sized midfielder who's actually an attacking midfielder, playing at the base of the midfield and dictating play, was terrific. It was a brilliant, yeah. brilliant performance by him over... Six games. Well, we're, you know, let's be honest about it. We're producing technically adroit players. We're producing players that are able to play in certain ways. Um, and I have to say, as much as people will want to credit the FA with a lot of this, and you have to give the FA credit in this, the domestic game is producing these players. The domestic game, the academies that are coming through with better players, that are producing better players, are the reasons why we are becoming more proficient internationally. Mm. So, you know, I'm not an admirer of the FA. I never have been. I think they're incompetent at best and negligent at worst. St George is being built by them. Fantastic. We, we've got the arguably the world's, no, factually, the world's richest domestic league. We should have a centre of excellence that our international framework pin, yeah. uh, pivots off. We should have more 4G pitches around the country. We should be producing international football teams of technically gifted, competent... And that started to happen. And that's right, and that's what it should have been. And but you know, we've had a Premier League for thirty years, mm. um, and we're producing decent players. And a lot of that is to do with the fact that we've got brilliant coaches inside our professional football clubs, working at youth level, producing these players. And it's got very little to do with the FA. Certainly, that was something that was uh, in evidence at the weekend. Looking at Lee Carsley's um, coaching staff, uh, Jolyon Lescott involved, uh, Ashley Cole involved, uh, Tim Dittmar, the head of uh, FA football coaching, was involved in that as well. Um, be interesting to see what happens with Lee Carsley. But it's a great forward. thing to get. It's a great thing to get senior pros involved because they've done it and seen it. The right kind of senior pros and the right kind of senior pros that want to install the right disciplines. You can all get senior pros involved in your youth development setups, but if they're not the right kinds of ones, then ultimately the outcomes are just as bad as not having particularly proficient ones. Ashley Cole took a lot of the sessions. He's, he's probably and that, and, the and first team point. coach. If that, that makes that's sense. my point. So if we've got elite former players or players that have played at the highest level and at one point there was an argument about whether Ashley Cole was the best left back in the world. Mm. So if you can get that kind of mindset and that kind of mindset's grown up over the years so it's now a mature uh, fella that can impart wisdom to these players. Oh, Certainly he fella. can impart technical ability. You know, previous experiences with Ashley Cole always, hasn't always been at the most mature level but now he's at a certain age in his life he should be of that mindset and if he's chosen to be a coach within the framework of the international setup, and he's serious and he's technically competent and able to impart wisdom in sessions then you get these senior pros that have played at this sort of level and Julian Lescott as well 
you've got this balance. Yeah, and they command respect as well, you know, from, from those players that to are a coming point, yeah. through. I mean, if, they, if what comes out of their mouth is, is sensible and, 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 and is enhancing the players, don't forget these players are playing inside academies alongside some, um, mm. you know, in development squads and in around the first team squads well, of some of the biggest clubs in the a- country. Actually, Cole Jolie and Lescott and Lee Carsley have also done that job. They've worked mm. in the academies in the country. Yep. Lee Carsley's worked for Manchester City as the head of uh, their uh, under-18s team. Yep. Ashley Cole's been involved in Chelsea in those uh, roles So technically, well. technically, these guys should be efficient enough to be able to impart wisdom onto these kids to play in 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 significant football, but we're now we're now moving into men's football, and the the difference between playing in academies and being technically proficient and being able to communicate a message to twenty one year old kids to win international tournaments are two different skills, and they seem to have mastered it. Ashley so long, mate, continue. Ashley Carl actually got sent off during the game, um, and after a big melee after the goal was scored, uh, which England won the the tournament with, and actually there was a big accusation from Manchester City Sergio Gomez, who didn't wasn't happy with his his, his teammate at Manchester City Cole Palmer for celebrating in front of the the Spanish dugout he said it surprised me he didn't want to apologise or anything like some of his other teammates I would have celebrated in a different way with my teammates and would have Good done it you. differently as well that is the attitude they want to have it's not the first time something like this has happened with this team we've tried to represent our country in the best way possible in the utmost respect for our rivals they wanted to celebrate it like this and also after the missed penalty is that just sour grapes? Well I don't think you should be in the business of telling other people how they should conduct themselves you worry about what you're doing and let them worry about what they're doing I mean look is it ideal that people behave in a certain way and celebrate? Well, I think you celebrate how you want and then you reap the consequences of your behaviour at a certain stage. Very difficult to control the emotion in well, that yeah. period of time. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, neither, like I'm neither for it or against it. I think sometimes you, you know, lies have long legs. People have abilities to be able to have celebrations thrown back in their face at a later stage. Mm. And if you want to put that in yourself in the way of it, that's fine. But we've just, you're in a business of winning a game and the opposition not liking the way you celebrate, well... Who cares? I mean, let's be honest about it. Who really cares about the losing opposition's view on it and how our team celebrates? Well, the only... I'm pretty damn sure that the Spanish aren't the most magnanimous when it comes to winning <laughs> things, having lived in Spain for 20 years and having to endure Spaniards repeatedly and endlessly telling me about their achievements. Um, there was two red cards in the immediate aftermath of that goal going in, so there was something that happened that, that, that everyone wasn't too uh, sure about. And then the aftermath of that, I don't, I don't think they can criticise them for, for celebrating the, the James Trafford double penalty save. I was watching it on a laptop in my kitchen with my son. He was standing on the work surface looking at it going... It's not a penalty, is it? They're not, not for Spain. I said, mm-hmm. it is. He's like, oh, we've got no chance now. I said, just just wait. You never know. You never know. And then when the goalkeeper saves it, we're up in arms. We're dancing around the kitchen for a minute and a half. So my celebration wasn't particularly respectful. I would have been the same. I mean, what did it mean? Are, you, are we now into the territory in this ridiculous world that we live in that we now have to celebrate that the op- only in a way that the opposition would appreciate? <laughs> I mean, have you ever written things so ridiculous? We can we run past? Can we run our celebrations past you so that actually you'll be comfortable with the way that we celebrate? Up yours, get lost, you lost. Next, maybe we should choreograph them and, uh, and submit them beforehand. Say this is what we're going to do in this scenario. Get them signed off previously so it meets I'd, all I'd health and safety happy, requirements. I'd be quite happy if the players had done the macarana. I don't care. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, the Spanish lost. We won. End of discussion. One hundred percent engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. We'll speak uh, to Greg Dyke in just a moment. It was uh, a brilliant night. I uh, I wonder whether or not they sort of missed an opportunity, the broadcasts in the end, when they go back uh, over the course of the tournament thinking they, they, they could have probably been part of something historic. I know Channel 4 did the final, but yeah. there could have been more to see there. Possibly. I mean, ultimately, there was nothing to see at the beginning of the week because they weren't putting any of it on. So the fact that something was put on, I suppose, is better than nothing. Um, look, again, I'm with the same view of you. 
this tournament should have been on and it should have been on state broadcaster because that's what, you know, if we're going to have to pay these ridiculous licensing fees to fund a broadcaster, then they should be adding value and sport is a big part of it. And this tournament could have easily been played on, you know, I know there's, I know that they would say that, there's, that Wimbledon was part of their roster um, and ultimately that might have taken pre- precedence. But this is, these, are, these, are, these are moments where you need to demark them um, and winning an under twenty ones is a is a is a great tournament for us to win. Of course, we want to see the national the full national side being able to do it too. But we got we got it on television in the end, the final. And yeah. I think, but to be fair, there's a lot of people that might have what not not necessarily have watched the earlier games, but the momentum build up, and I think we should certainly have been having semi-finals and finals on the television and on terrestrial television as a matter of course. All games were live on TalkSport, of course. James Trafford has been a credit to himself all season. My team, Bolton, says uh, Mark, who's got in touch. He says he's a great lad. Hi, guys. Great show. Simon speaking a lot of sense again, as usual. The biggest shame for this England under-21 team is that while we still have Gareth in charge of the first team and his lack of winning ability and tendency to revert to tight, we will never see any of these youngsters get a chance in the first team. Someone like Levi Colwell, I think, would almost certainly be available to do it equally, if not better job, than... Harry Maguire. Well, that's not a torture, is that's it? That's not true. I mean, I'm, most I'm, of the the England squad is made up of players that have graduated pre- from precisely. St. I mean, George's I concur, I concur with one part of the observation that I don't think Southgate has the winning gene. I don't concur with the other point of view that you've taken the under twenty one manager and the reasons why so many young players landed in that side when he took over in twenty sixteen from Sam Allardyce was because he was a twenty ones manager. So I think that that's not correct. I do concur with the fact that, and I hope to be proved wrong genuinely do I hope to have it rammed down my throat that Southgate is a perennial or a, a, not a perennial but a, a real winner in the end game in the European Championships in 2024 um, but what we can only suggest and we should be looking at the reality of what we've achieved rather than what may not happen in the future is that our 21s laid a glove on 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 international football they certainly did and although the FA has been pilloried by many how much credit does it actually have to take for the achievement of England's younger age group sides we spoke a little bit earlier on to the former FA chair Greg Dyke St George's Park was important in it, but I think it was also um, the bringing together of all the different managers of the different teams in in one sort of structure, so that they could all they talk to each other. We actually pinched the Spanish. It's ironic, given that we beat Spain at the weekend, but it's, we pinched the Spanish model. A bunch of us, including Dan Ashworth, who was then running FA football and the rest of it, we all went over to Spain and saw their system, and it was it was the use of somewhere like St George's Park to place the England manager and all the others. So there was a, a community which didn't exist before that. And that sort of sharing of ideas, coming up with ideas, creative people, technical people pushing each other, you think has generated better coaching and therefore developed better playing uh, and working practices in order to see this success? Well, also Dan Ashworth came to the board of the FA and asked for more money for the England structure, which the FA found. Uh, you know, quite a lot more, which meant you could try try to emulate a club structure. Uh, and that was the idea, trying to make it into a club structure. And I think it's worked well. Do you think that's one of the greatest successes that you, Dan, and others have had at the FA? I don't think it was much to do with me other than I made sure we got the money. Uh, it was largely to do Dan, with Dan Ashworth and followed on, you know, and then Gareth getting the job. Uh, as England manager and him understanding because he worked there as the under-21 manager so he worked there and understood it and what was trying to be achieved so I think it's down to the professionals but I think they've done a great job 
And when you look over the last six years, clean sweep of trophies at youth level, under 17, under 19, under 20, under 21. Do you, Obviously, it doesn't follow that that exactly means that there will be senior success, but does it give you greater optimism that senior success will follow? Well, there's a generation of players coming through. Uh, now, how many can come, come up from the, say, under-19s right the way through to the English first team is, is, you know, small, but they matter. You know, and you look at the England team today and you think, this is as good as England team as we've had for many years. So I think I think it all does matter. I think the idea that you have your, your you know, your kids come in at a young age and they stay part of the England structure as they go through, I think is very important. Um, Germany won the, the World Cup shortly after winning the Euros in 2009. And that sort of lineage going through from the age group teams into the senior teams has been really important for them. And one of the things that Gareth Southgate has done very well has been integrating many of those who have won tournaments at youth level, Phil Foden, Mason Mount, Rhys James, Aaron Ramsdale, Gerhi, Gallagher, etc., etc. Do you expect that to continue? And do you think that actually because of his longer tenure... He's been able to to have the authority to do that. Yes, I think that was the aim in the first place, and he's done it brilliantly. I think he is uh, the the, uh, the aim of the whole process was to identify kids at a certain age and make sure. You you remember the days when you know the England under twenty man one manager wouldn't talk to the England under seventeen. So I mean, you, I mean, it really was like that. And I think that's all changed now. I think they, uh, it's part of an integrated setup, and that's worked. And you see these young kids coming through now. And, you know, you have to say, you know, the future looks good. Well, Greg Dyke thinks the future looks good. Um, as far as the FA are concerned, how much credit do you think they deserve for it? Is he right about the bringing together of ideas of lots of different coaches? I think, I think the FA should take very little credit, quite frankly, because I think they've lucked into it. I think if they hadn't have, um, if Sam Allardyce hadn't have got himself busy in areas that he shouldn't have got himself busy in, then perhaps Gareth Southgate wouldn't have taken the job, although Southgate was offered the job before Sam Allardyce was offered the job. Um, and then you've got someone like Southgate, that because of his because of his belief system, because A, he's no challenge to the FA, but also because he believes in a certain set of values, which is younger players being given opportunities, he's availed himself of wanting to be more interested in other age groups and ultimately produce a different mentality. Yes, of course, you've built a nice environment. And yes, of course, there is some logic and common sense but, behind... But that is the FA, isn't it? Yeah, he, they've created the environment, they've created the age group culture, and he is in, he, he as the head of the England men's no, senior I team think, has, I, I don't think, ha, I think, has I think led that. They didn't create the age group culture the age group culture was already there we were already playing in these tournaments the fact that we weren't performing in them as but they well weren't as we... talking to each other as Greg just said they but, weren't talking to each other Greg beforehand Greg Dyke wouldn't possibly know that and Greg I've heard Greg Dyke talk about the fact he's been in dressing rooms and never heard any foul language so I'm not quite sure what Greg says sometimes but the fact of the matter is is that we're talking about a culture that's now built upon uh, an outlook that I think the FA takes some some credit for because you can't just sit there and give them no credit I think you know over the years I've become more acclimatised to the fact that Dan Ashworth is far more accomplished than I initially gave him credit for mm. because if you look at the clubs with a couple of exceptions in there maybe West Bromwich Albion but you look at the clubs that he's been to and they have all benefited from a far better recruitment and joined up technical mentality Newcastle being case in point now um, and then you look at the England setup and say yes so then who appointed him the FA appointed him but you look at the overall structure and say if you get a 21s manager that somehow lucked into getting into the FA because ultimately his domestic career wasn't particularly compelling as the manager of Middlesbrough. Sometimes international manager suits different people. And that's, and that's fine. I, I would suggest that m the most of the time, and not all the time, of course, the more successful you are as a domestic manager, often international management beckons you with the same sort of outcomes 
Cheney is case in point and a few others that we can talk about. Um, but in this instance, I think the framework has to be um, uh, the right, and that would be the environment they've created, and that would be the, the fact that they've got a whole raft of people in space and place. But I think more to do with the fact that the, the manager of the, full, of the national side comes from a background of patronising young players, so has a, a, a seeded and vested interest in communicating, and I don't think that's got anything to do with an FA construct. I think it's just... I think it's just They've lucked into that. But so with that in mind, long may that continue. Now, I don't know how it will continue if Southgate comes out of the, out of, out of the commission because it's left to, if the FA Herberts, they don't have the intellectual capital to start that. Now, maybe Dan, Wash, Dan Ashworth will get back in the mix. I don't know. Um, but the bottom line is, is that we're looking for a succession programme of how that continues to work. So I, I listened to what Greg's saying. He talked about lots of things in the past and he talked about having B teams playing from the Premier League inside it, domestic football somewhere enhancing it I believe not because I've got a bug to bear I do think the FA are a disgrace at this moment in time for other things but I do think that the real increase in performance from our young players is that the quality and competency of coaching inside the academy structures around the country with foreign coaches coming in and with better players playing in our in our in our development squads yeah. is the reasons why they've got the raw materials or actually the polished materials to turn into international sides and that's got nothing to do with the FA but it has got something to do with Dan Ashworth and Gareth Southgate and EPP and the Premier League and everyone coming together to allow that to happen well I mean again if you want to work through the elite player performance program and see where it has worked and where it hasn't worked yes we can look at some well, it's of worked at the... the top end but not for well, teams further down the pyramid the in terms of the ability to be able to produce young players and have any value retained in them because of the compensation rights that were given away by the FA and by the Premier or more to the point the Premier League took it and the FA sanctioned it but the bottom line is is there are aspects of the elite player performance programme that have worked and there are other aspects that have not worked I mean let's be clear producing younger players further down the pyramid is a massive massive opportunity for them to be able to get game time and, and, and outcomes that are often different than playing in, in bloated inflated Premier League squads look We've won an under-21 championship. It's got the FA's name above the door because it's ultimately an international side. If they're only going to focus on the international football because they're damn straight ain't going to focus on domestic football as we're seeing with their disgraceful conduct around the FA Cup, they at least should get something right, shouldn't they? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. There was on Saturday um, seven Belarusian and Russia's um, Russian players playing at Wimbledon, and there were cheers, applause, even for Medvedev. It was it was whoops and cheers. Uh, Daniel Medvedev, when he was uh, uh, playing on Saturday, the third seed in the men's draw, getting a hell of a response from the Wimbledon crowd. Uh, the number two seed in the women's game, Anya Sabalenka, even the 16-year-old qualifier, Mira Andreva all getting good receptions at Wimbledon. That all changed, though, yesterday when the Ukrainian wildcard, Svitolina, uh, beat uh, Victoria Azarenka 2-6-6-4-7-6. And after the match, um, as it was coming to its conclusion and then uh, prior to the two players departing court, there was a load of boos, loads of boos for Azarenka. Uh, afterwards, uh, she spoke about exactly why she thought that was the case. What, there is nothing to say. She, she doesn't want to shake hands with Russian, Belarusian people. I respected her decision. I did what, what, what should I have done? Stayed and waited? Like, I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's no thing that I could do that, that would have been right. So I just did what uh, I thought was respectful towards her decision. But, you know, this, this conversation about shaking hands is, uh, is not a life-changing conversation. So... If you guys want to keep talking about it, bring it up, make it a, you know, a big deal, headlines, whatever it is, you know, keep going. I thought it was a great tennis match. And if somebody, if, if people are going to be focusing only on uh, handshakes or, you know, crowd, quite drunk crowd booing in, in the end, that's, that's a shame. That's, that's, that's probably what, what it is in the end of the day. I think Victoria Azarenko, and you know her very well, was probably a little bit annoyed about the fact that there wasn't that much focus on what was a terrific mm -hmm. tennis match. But the reason that this is such a big story is because um, in tennis, it's very important for you to go and shake your hands yep. with your opponent at the yep. end of a game. It's, it's a massive thing in tennis, about tradition. You walk yep. up to the net, you shake hands with your opponent, and you go your separate yep. ways, no matter the hostility. Yep. Uh, the difference here is, is that the, the Belarus player Svetlina has decided over a long period of time Ukrainian as a Ukrainian she's not going to shake the hands of a Belarusian yeah. or a Russian abbot this has been going on for a little while now yeah so Victoria Azarenka knew that was going to she be did. the case she did um and and I spoke to Victoria um I did a, a podcast with Victoria a couple of weeks ago which is coming out this week and she'll talk in detail um about her her expectations of Wimbledon and the challenges that she's had as, a, as an athlete. She knows full well the background. She's a very respectful and very decent lady. And I know that she's quite upset um, with what the, exper the experience that she had. I think she feels let down by Wimbledon because it was, I think, probably advisable for Wimbledon to remind fans that... Um, that the, uh, at the at the bequest of the Ukrainian players, they didn't want to shake the hands of Belarusian and uh, Russian players. The fact that Victoria hasn't lived in Belarus for 20 years. She lives in America. She has no particular affinity to that country besides the fact it's on her passport. Um, she, a year ago, 18 months ago, when she was banned from Wimbledon, came up with the idea of saying to the All England Club, you know, why don't we, if we play, why don't we donate the entire winnings or the proceeds of our tournament fees to the Ukraine War Fund. She's very conversant with the situation. She's got Ukrainian relatives in her family and she understands the position that these other athletes have taken. Um, obviously, she watched it in the French Open where it manifested itself and the fans reacted very differently. And what we saw was a remarkable tennis match between two uh, athletes playing at their highest level with Svetlina operating at a level in the third set, which she probably hasn't operated at for some time. 
and she won a remarkable game. And Victoria went up to the net. She knew the girl didn't want to shake her hand. I'm not quite entirely sure what she could have done. Mm. And I sat there and watching, and I'm thinking, what a ridiculous reaction from the fans. The fact that Wimbledon didn't afterwards come out and clarify it, they could have clarified it before the game because it takes the pressure off valued competitors. Uh, did they speak to Victoria afterwards about the crowd? They've given her no reaction to the to the opposite. I mean, listen, you, she sounds very strong in that interview, but the whole interview was about the handshake and not about the tennis match. Um, she is a very, 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 very decent human being, and I'm not just saying it because I'm fond of her. I'm saying it because I've spent time around people that are, uh, are sports stars, and she's one of the best people that I've met. Um, she she loathes the war. She's spoken out against the war. She doesn't. She's not interested in having. She never asked for a Belarusian flag to be put above her name. She understands the dynamics. She even accepts the parameters of not being able to play in, in tennis tournaments where the country is represented because she understands that dynamic. Yeah, but the only relationship she has with Belarus, Belarus is an immutable relationship, which is a passport. And it's the media that have made this into a propaganda political war. And I think it's sad that, they, that she gets to walk off a tennis court in a remarkable tennis match and gets booed because she walked up to the net. I watched it. She walked up to the net. She knew this. What's she going to do? Hold her hands out so they can go can blank her so we can get even more of a reaction from certain segments of the media. And then she gets a press conference and she's only uh, only focused on that. And I know, I know genuinely that she's incredibly upset, incredibly upset that that was the legacy that she walks away from Wimbledon I, with, which is a bunch of drunk people booing her. I'm not sure it's, it's the media's fault for the booing. I think actually it's... I didn't say with... it was the media's fault. I said, it's, I said that ultimately the media questions after the interview were not about the tennis match, were not about this, that, that, about that, this that, remarkable that, performance. That, that, that is absolutely true. But I think that's down to the fact that I actually think the people to blame here are Wimbledon for not announcing beforehand yeah. that this is what is going to happen. We all know it's going to happen. Yeah. They should have done it at the French Open. Yeah. They got it wrong at the French Open as well, where the reaction from the crowd was completely the reverse, actually. Absolutely. Now, here, Wimbledon should have come out and they should have said, look, this is a Ukrainian player who has refused and doesn't want yeah. to. Uh, and maybe understandably, what you, it's up to yeah. you. You can decide what but you want a, for yourself. This, this, is a, this is the situation. So, but it's that, a backdrop to the Wimbledon banning uh, Russian and Belarusian athletes passports. You know, really, is what they're banning um, um, a year ago, where all the other Grand Slams did not. And so the legacy hangs over. And I do think it's really unfair because I mean, you, well, a lot if, of sports have ba banned Russian uh, sports teams from taking part. Well, but this sport, is an individual. Sport, sports teams are very different. I'm in the camp, and I think so is Victoria. That it's fully understood and accepted that if you're representing your country, and you wish to be representing your country, then there is a there is a debate to be had about be given the nature of propaganda wars. And, and I'm not in this camp. I don't believe that. Putin can leverage sports stars in the same way that in 1936 Hitler could do that because we've got a whole different world of communication where propaganda can't be fulfilled the way it once was. But let's just say from a point of view of understanding the dynamics, understanding this hideous war in this country and this illegal war that's been waged upon people, it's much more complicated than just the dynamics of what people think it is, but let's not get into a political debate about it. Let's accept that actually athletes competing under a flag that's in line with the Russian regime don't compete at the Olympics. And we all accept that. Individuals that are not representing their country, the only qualification for Victoria to play at Wimbledon was the fact she was a talented tennis player. And ultimately, the fact that the fans booed shows their ignorance and stupidity because what they should have been doing was applauding the fact that two tennis players played a remarkable match. Svetlina played with remarkable motivation in the third set. Victoria could and should have won it. It was on her racket to win. And I feel sorry for her. And I think that, I think that she's been a great champion in the Australian Open. She's been a great tennis player. I think she conducted herself throughout the whole of that match where there was a lot of support 
for the other girl in a very dignified way and for her overriding feelings to be as upset as I think she may well be is disappointing and I think the fans should have done better but more importantly I think you're absolutely right I think Wimbledon that wanted it this way and allowed it to be this way and in the same way that the French did had a duty of care to its valued seeded players or to anybody to turn around and say so that the audience are aware reminding you of the, of the preference of the Ukrainian athletes which is their prerogative mm. that they're not going to be shaking hands mm. and Victoria did not want to snubber on any shape or form and wouldn't have done it Your 100% essential download Outspoken with White and Jordan Thanks for listening to Outspoken don't forget to leave a five star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode we'll be back tomorrow Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass fed whole milk instead of skim Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.